today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. So, uh, what are the challenges facing uh, the new parliament? We don't even know when it's going to be reconvened. Uh, it's another minority government. We know that. And uh, you've heard a lot of discussion about the issues uh, that we as voters were facing. Uh, well, now the challenges uh, is, uh, is trying to get some of these things put into policy and how effective they're going to be. Uh, interesting list uh, that we want to go over here. It's a great piece in the Globe and Mail today. But uh, to bring some perspective into this, so please to welcome back to the program Moshe Landa, who is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University. Uh, Moshe, a pleasure to have you on the program the day after. I uh, hope you uh, got a little rest last night. I'm not sure you were following the results like the rest of us were. Absolutely. It's it's like um you know, a good triple overtime game. It just kept going and going. So, yeah, but usually there's a winning there's usually a winning goal in an overtime game. I don't know that we got one last night, but anyway, uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I, let's talk about what is going to happen going forward and and the word recovery is is something that got used an awful lot in the election and that's quite understandable because we're all concerned about this uh we want to get out of the pandemic we want to know what's going to look like on the other side uh there was some speculation that uh, well you know once this is over and once the lockdowns are finished and uh, and we can get back into restaurants and, and other things everything is going to work out just fine uh, I think we know better now that there's an awful lot of, of impact that this pandemic uh, is, has created here right now. Things like supply chain issues and so many others. Uh, it's it's not going to be like flicking a switch to get back to it to, to what we thought was normal back in those days, is it? No, and I, you know when you and I have been talking over the last eighteen months, the phrase that I kept using was the new normal. Right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to go back to the way things were. I don't think it was ever going to go back to that. In much the same way that after September 11th, we said that we need to find what the new normal is. So I, I think we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. And that's why we're kind of having that supply chain management issue and these, these hard times adapting. I mean, anybody, <laughs> you want to buy a car, uh, good luck with that. I mean, you can try to get parts for your computer or anything like this. How how do you address something like this? I mean, you know, governments are always, especially people that want to get elected to government, are going to promise the sun, the moon, and the stars and say, you know, put me in, in Ottawa and I'll make sure this gets done. Uh, some of this stuff is, is not really within their control. I mean, it, it's it's a global issue right now, and it's pretty hard to wrestle with. It is. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that in terms of one of the things that should be high up on the government's list is dealing with trade. I think trade and recovery are going to go hand in hand. And so a lot of the last 18 months has been putting up barriers. And the pandemic was merely an excuse for those barriers. I think a lot of governments have lost appetite for free trade, as you and I were talking over two years ago with all the NAFTA negotiations. So the fact is that I think governments need to find ways to liberate the borders for goods and services, and that'll make trade a little bit easier, make supply chains a little bit smoother, and that might help the recovery a little bit faster. But what we're seeing, and and we've even seen it with the Biden administration, uh, he's not Donald Trump, but I mean, there's still an aura of protectionism that seems to be in place, and it's not just happening in the States. I mean, we're hearing those discussions in other places. That seems kind of contradictory to what you think probably should be happening. Absolutely, it's contradictory. And so the fact is that whenever you put up trade barriers, it's usually protecting domestic producers, but at the expense of domestic consumers. And so we're seeing that right now, that one of the problems that emerged at the very end of the election was that realization that inflation's up at 4%, highest in almost two decades. That's not an accident. When you're protecting domestic producers from foreign competition, that gives them a certain amount of market power that allows them to raise prices, disrupting supply chains, also creates bottlenecks that are pushing prices up. And so you need that voice that's out there to say, 
I don't care what the domestic producer says. I'm pushing for freer trade. I'm pushing for more liberalized trade. And that's going to be the type of thing that's going to help keep prices down and make consumers better off. Yeah, it's bad for some domestic producers that have to compete. But the fact is that if you can't compete, maybe we should find something else for you to do. And that'll help with recovery, too. Now, when we see inflation and when we've had discussions about that in the past, uh, there are some tools that the government can use. There's other tools the Bank of Canada can use vis-a-vis uh, -vis interest rates and things of this nature. We seem to be uh, getting assurances and maybe even reassurances now from the Bank of Canada that, look, don't worry, we're not going to fiddle around uh, with, with, uh, with interest rates just yet. Uh, with the, that statement, and if they hold the, to the to guns on this one, Moshe, what are the chances of inflation getting out of control? You know, it's only going to get out of control if it spills over into wages. That's the, that's the trigger that could lead to some worrying signs. Right now, the inflation is mostly on the price side, and a lot of those things are temporary in nature, right? Remember that about a year ago, we were talking about oil and gas prices near record lows and how bad Alberta producers were experiencing that. So when they go from record lows towards more reasonable numbers, that's going to show up in uh, high inflation, but it's transitory, right? Once we are now back to kind of what they should be, then prices won't change all that much. Inflation comes down. The food price disruption is partly going to be connected to controlling climate change and all of the problems that we're seeing in terms of weather patterns. And those types of things then are going to be maybe a little more permanent in nature, but hopefully we saw that the liberals are going to start to take the environment a little more seriously. Well, let's talk about that element of wages, uh, because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the equation. You want to make sure that that's going to be under control. But another problem that I don't know if we foresaw is uh, is a shortage of skilled labor. Now that as businesses are starting to reopen and starting to, 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 to try to find their feet again, uh, they're saying a lot of people that left or that we had to lay off aren't coming back. Uh, so you got to go find those people. And you know, then you're getting into immigration situations, and that's got to be part of this discussion. The other element is... Do you look at wages and say, okay, maybe maybe we have to reassess exactly what we're compensating these people with uh, to, to try to attract that skilled labor once again? It, it's it's I guess the, the challenge here, and you've talked about this with us many times in the past, is you can't look at all of these things in isolation. But this, this this is a whole bushel full of things that all have to be addressed. It is, and so you know we can add in all kinds of other things. Then it's a story too, that it's not just an issue of straight up compensation paying skilled labor more, it's we need comprehensive tax reform, for example. And so, you know, if you were to uh, change the tax code in a way that wasn't taxing skilled labor as heavily, you wouldn't need to increase their wages as much because their take-home pay would be going up because of lower taxes. But if you're going to lower taxes, you need to change your government program spending. Uh, you need to find maybe other sources for taxes. And you know, this is a common issue that Alberta has been experiencing for years where their income taxes are reliant on oil and gas revenues. Well, that creates volatility, and that's why that province has wild swings. So I, I think that the government needs to look at a, a fundamental reshaping of all of their programs. I just don't know that they can do it with a minority, which is the same minority that they had five weeks ago. Well, especially because... Let's face it, for the for the Liberals, I guess, especially to move forward on this, uh, they're going to have to get uh, support certainly from the NDP and I guess one, from time to time with the bloc. Uh, the NDP were the only ones that were talking substantively about impacts or about tax reform in general, uh, but they're, they were pretty simplistic about it. They simply say tax the super rich. That seems to be their solution to it. And I, I don't yeah. know that there's an appetite for that. No, you're right. And and it's the wrong thing to do. Um, you know, the, the rich, however it is that you want to define it, are generally more mobile than the poor, however you want to define that. 
And so if you try and squeeze, they're going to up and leave. And so we're, we're talking about having a hard time finding that skilled labor to begin with, saying that if we find you, we're going to tax you even more aggressively is not going to help them reveal themselves. Uh, and that's not going to help, you know, our innovation deficit or uh, our productivity deficit that we've had for decades. So I, I think that, again, it's one of those things that the government needs to be a lot more creative than what the NDP was offering. And I think that's partly why voters didn't, didn't show up for them uh, the way that they had hoped. Well, and I think the old phrase, watch what you wish for in a situation like that, too. Uh, I, I read an interesting stat uh, just after Jagmeet Singh was talking about that. He was on our program a couple of weeks before the, the vote uh, and talking about taxing you know, the, the, the super rich, I think was the phrase that he used. Uh, only uh, The numbers I saw in this earning motion, only about 11% of the quote-unquote super rich uh, are generational wealth. And in, in other words, the other 89% of them are all people that made their own way, uh, that started off and, and grew a business or whatever it is uh, to get to where they are right now. And, and uh, you know, as many of them told me, and you're going to penalize me now for my hard work and my dedication and my investments in the, into the business? Uh, you're going to take money away from me for doing that uh you know and th- then there's if you're going to do that there's the impact that many of those people are also responsible for the a great deal of the philanthropy that goes on in this country right now do they simply say okay i'm going to claw back on that uh it's the old you know for every action there's a reaction i don't know that they flat this thing out no and and, and the issue of course too is that um when when you're talking about wealth that's generated through innovation there's nothing wrong with that um, if it's wealth that's generated through barriers that, you know, you you have Facebook that takes over Instagram to eliminate the competition, that's a problem. But the problem is not solved by taxing Mark Zuckerberg more aggressively. It's by eliminating the barriers that existed in the first place. You and I are old enough to remember the strength of the Competition Bureau in Ottawa yep. and how they would review things like bank mergers and say, this is not in the public interest. They've been completely defanged, and I think one of the solutions is create more competition. Competition leads to lower prices, it leads to more innovation, and if you can profit in that environment, fantastic. But that's also going to spill over to consumers in that we're going to have greater product diversity, lower prices, and our money's going to stretch further without the same amount of inflation threat that we're talking about in this interview. I salivate waiting for that discussion to happen uh, because uh, I know that the, the conservatives and the NDP and the liberals all talked about digital transformation uh, and consumers and, and, you know, getting a better deal for consumers. And, and Moshe, you just hit the nail on the head. It's, it all comes down to competition. But And when you get into things like telecommunications and, and digital technology, anytime anybody from any other entity, a global entity, comes in and says, we want to put, you know, plant our flag in Canada, uh, they get rebuffed. Uh, by the, the government of the day, and it's, they've all done it. Well, the conservatives and liberals, are the only ones of a new power, uh, but you know they they bow to you know to the to the big three telecommunications giants and say you know you're going to drive us out of business, and they say okay fine, then we won't let them in. Uh, you remember uh, the classic case, I guess, was uh, during the Harper government uh, when uh, they announced that they were going to free up some space on bandwidth, and uh, within 24 hours, uh, a number of U.S. Uh, telecom companies said yeah we're there, Verizon and others. 24 hours later, the government changed their minds and said no 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 we're not going to do that after all because of the pushback that they got. Uh, they're going to have to be a lot more open-minded about that if they really believe this idea about lower prices and competition. Absolutely, and this ties back into where we started our talk today, that the idea that blocking trade is to the benefit of domestic producers, but at the expense of domestic consumers. And so, you know, I grew up down the, the 403, uh, 401, in, in London. And so I grew up watching Detroit television and Erie television. And when you see the different cell phone packages that Americans can get, 
it makes us really antsy that, wait a second, I'm getting some second-rate Dell package here that's paying triple the price for half the data. Um, wouldn't it be great if the Americans could come in here? But, of course, Bell, Telus, Rogers would completely blanch the idea of having to face that competition because they know they can't stand up to it. Uh, the idea is that if the government's going to protect Bell and Telus and Rogers, uh, innovation stifled, 5G rollout is slow, you're not going to see productivity increases because we can't use the technology to the fullest. It's all cycling around to the same topics over and over again. The thing is that, in a weird way, you need a government majority. It almost doesn't matter which it is, liberal or conservative, but somebody who can say, I've got five years here, you're not going to be able to touch me, and I'm ramming this through whether you like it or not. Uh, this government's just not going to be able to do it. Uh, they just don't have the numbers in, in the House. Well, similarly, House has a nice segue, because I wanted to ask you about housing policy. Uh, again, something that's not totally within the federal government's purview, uh, because a lot of that has, heads down to, to, well, provincial and municipal governments, especially when it comes to zoning issues, planning, and, and, and you know, the red tape that goes on along that. Uh, but again, it comes down to consumerism and what you are making available to consumers. Uh, I mean, Economics 101, Moshe, which had to vote as far as I got with it when I was taking economics, uh, was, was simply if you have, if you supply more product, prices will likely go down. Uh, and we're not doing that with housing right now. That's one of the key elements right now is that we're not building the kinds of houses or enough houses for people. Ergo, the ones that are there are going to cost way too much. Exactly. And, and so to keep the running theme then, uh, as a homeowner, the first thing you do as a homeowner is you petition the city to block all future development because yep. your asset, your home, is probably, for most people, their biggest asset. And so the thought of facing competition, which would drive prices lower, is going to make that mortgage increasingly worthless because the home is going to be devalued through competition. So what do you do? You petition the government and say, if you don't create restrictive zoning laws, if you don't make it so that people can't build their homes to, to drive those prices down, uh, I'm going to get you at the next election. And so the same way that governments will protect domestic producers from uh, foreign competition, they're protecting us as homeowners from the competition that we would face if builders were free to start zoning and building the way they wanted. Um, it, it's, it's the political calculus that a politician can't avoid, uh, but it's the thing that keeps holding us back. Well, the old adage in politics is, if you, especially with a majority government, if you're going to do something like that, you do it in the first year or two of yep. your mandate uh, so that hopefully they'll forget or they get used to, to whatever you've created. Uh, that's going to be much more difficult than a minority government because we don't know when the next one's going to be. I, I suspect uh, it's not going to be 18 to 24 months like this past one was. I think it'd probably hang out for at least three years, if not longer. But it's going to be pretty difficult for, for the government to try to move on some of these things, Moshe, because uh, you, you're looking for support from one of the opposition parties at least and uh, there are some philosophical differences there. There are, and there's also differences in Trudeau's still young, but by political standards, he's getting old, right? He's been in politics now for 15 years, and so there's going to be a new generation that's sitting there looking at him saying, if you can't deliver a majority in three years' time, four years' time, get out of the way uh, and give somebody else a chance. And so he might now be viewing this as a very different sort of calculation that, well, at least at the next election, I'll be able to lead the Liberals. Not if they turf them. There was already talk last night on the channels about, is this going to lead to a leadership review on some level, informally or otherwise, that you, you took us to an election that wasn't necessary, uh, and you produced the exact same results. So, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to be emboldened to take those difficult steps or to stare down the NDP or the bloc and say, if you don't like it, 
I dare you, let's let's put this to an election, his future might be compromised, and he might want to stay as quiet as he can for the next three to five years uh, to try and build out that legacy. Well, and, and if he's going to be confrontational, and I, I, I don't think that's going to happen initially, but it, it better be a populist for, uh, policy that he's enacting because he at least get public support for that. Mm-hmm. And, and if nothing else, you shame the opposition parties into it. That's a, a political tactic, but it's also a very dangerous one because if it doesn't work, uh, you know, we're right back where we started from, aren't we? Yeah, and I, I think he's going to probably use his, his first few days back to, to ram through the, the child care. Uh, program because he did have support uh, provincially as yeah. well as among the the NDP and the bloc, and so if that's what he's going to come out, listen, it's not a bad policy by any means, but he's immediately starting to burn that political capital that he has, and so when it comes to the real macro issues that we've been talking about, he might not have that support anymore. Where they said, look, we support you on this, you got to throw something to us now that we want to. More to come on this, as they say in the business. Uh, we're just getting started. Uh, always great to get your perspective, Marsha. Thanks so much for this today. Anytime. Talk soon. Take care. Marsha Lander, of course, Cedar Economics Lecturer at Concordia University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.